Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die, where my goal is to give you evidence that although our bodies will disappear, we survive physical death. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. In past episodes, we've talked about out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences, and altered states of consciousness that have helped people connect to their deceased loved ones. We've talked to guests about healing, meditation, how to connect with your own soul, and quiet your own mind. What if I told you all these things may be possible for you by listening to a certain type of sound? Today on the show, we have Karen Newell, who is co-founder of the company called Sacred Acoustics. Sacred Acoustics creates brain entrainment audio recordings to help people in many ways, including accessing these expanded states of consciousness. She is an innovator in this field, and she empowers people in their journeys to discover who they really are. Her website is sacredacoustics.com, and I'm very excited to find out more about her and hear why she believes we don't die. Karen Newell, welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Thank you, Sandra. It's great to be here. Oh, great to have you. Um, yeah, where do we start? I, I just downloaded one of your audios not too long ago, and I am excited to get started. Um, but even before that, would you tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe where you are today and this uh, the sun shining out where you are? It is where I am. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I'm- I'm in Charlottesville, Virginia. It's a beautiful day here. Uh, I guess post-Hurricane Matthew, things always look beautiful after the storm. So. Yes. Isn't that yeah. interesting? That means yeah. a lot in many ways. Yes. And it's a very unique field you are in. Will you give us just a little bit about your background and what even had you get involved with this before we get into hearing okay. about life after death? Well, Yeah, well, my professional background has always been uh, very traditional. I was in the publishing industry working with technology, desktop publishing, web development, things like that. But on the side, I had this personal sort of drive to kind of find out the answers to very important to me questions. Why are we here? What is our purpose? And back when I was very young, I wasn't satisfied with the answers I was getting from my Methodist church and also from school. I was very, uh, I was in a regular secular school, and I was very intrigued by our ancient history because they would tell us certain things about our history. For example, the Great Pyramids in Giza, how they were built as tombs for pharaohs by thousands of slaves over decades. But they also tell you that our modern day technology could not duplicate the engineering quality of those pyramids. So something inside of me knew there was more to our ancient past than what we were learning. And as I got into later in life reading about such things, I had to turn to alternative texts and esoteric texts. And that's when I really got exposed to this concept of we do not die. We are eternal souls. And this very much intrigued me, especially when I learned about not just different thoughts on how to view this, but different ways to experience our greater souls, the greater part of ourselves. And I was very interested in how I could do that myself. And so this sort of set me on a journey of trying all kinds of different methods of how to access my my own soul 
uh, my greater soul bigger than what is here in the physical body. That is very, very, very cool. And I think that's something that many of us ask. Cause I always say um, we're not humans with a soul. We're a soul having a human experience. Correct. Yeah. And, and that our soul is so much bigger than just the little body we have here. So right. how do we connect with it? You know, so it's, it's really awesome. And I think for most of us, we start our exploration, you know, from within asking ourselves those questions. And a lot of times our own religion just doesn't cut it. So anyways, right. then what happened? Well, I was, you know, in the middle of all of exploring different ways to do all of this an interesting facet is that my stepfather died and I was I was in the beginning sort of process this was about 10 years ago 10 to 15 years ago I was in the beginning process of actually trying to generate experience and I was doing a lot of reading and and one of the authors that I I read um, her name was Sylvia Brown and she purported to be someone who could access the other side and that was interesting to me, especially because when my stepfather died, I was curious about what had happened to him. Now, it turns out that he committed suicide, and Sylvia Brown's attitude about that, her advice on that was that not very good things happen to people when they committed suicide, and this concerned me very much. Sure. Now, sure. I, so I, I wanted to know if he was really okay, because other things I had read were purporting that people were fine after they died, but suicide was a different sort of topic. But when I first got the call from my mother, I was not living in the same state. They were in Arizona and I was in Maryland. And I got a call uh, from my mother letting me know that he had, had died and how he had done it. But interestingly, she, she said one of the things she told me was when she came home, found him there, called the paramedics, that night she went to sleep. She wasn't sleeping very well. But in the middle of the night, all the ceiling fans came on all by themselves. She didn't turn them on. She just, they all just turned on all by themselves. And when we were talking that morning, she said that was really odd when those ceiling fans went off. And I really felt his presence. And she said, do you think I'm crazy? And I said, no, you're absolutely not crazy. I had also read books about people who had passed on who actually communicated with the surviving people here through electronics, through all kinds of different means. So I, I comforted her. I thought, you know, well, yes, of course that was him. He was there. He was trying to let you know he was okay. And that was my first kind of indication that uh, his soul was still here and maybe he was, you know, trying to make contact with my mother in that fashion. There's a book called uh, Margins of Reality that was put together by a research group, the Princeton Engineering, Princeton Engineering Anomalies Research Group out of uh, New Jersey, Princeton University. And they actually study electronic uh, communication methods that uh, DC souls have. Um, sometimes it comes in the way of a phone call or a television that keeps turning off and on or lights that flicker. There's all kinds of ways, and they usually are accompanied by someone feeling the presence of that soul. And that's exactly what my mother experienced. Very interestingly today, when I talked to her about that, she doesn't remember that. 
And I think she put it out of her mind because she didn't think it could have been real. And she was so overcome by grief in that moment. She forgot. And so she loves to be reminded that he really did do that early on. Now, yes. I had other sort of encounters with him, but I, I don't want to just go on and on if you have any uh, comments. Oh, I don't mind you go on and on. I think this is great. And then maybe we can even touch on uh, suicide and what you've found out about it. Yeah, okay. So then I'll let you know, too, that um, later on, it was uh, about in that same conversation I had with my mother, she knew that I was experimenting with ways to contact uh, my greater soul. She knew I was doing that, and she she trusted me in that process. She wasn't someone who was telling me, oh, that's ridiculous. She was saying, oh, that's great. Tell me what you find out. And I said, one of the ways to get in touch with your higher soul is to communicate with um, relatives and loved ones who've passed on. And I hadn't learned that skill yet, but I had a friend um, who told me that uh, dreams were a very common way of people to connect. So I said, well, if I connect with him or he shows up in a dream, I'll, I'll let you know. And, you know, I asked her to let me know. Well, I'm the one who had a dream about a year later. And so this dream involved, I was, I was actively paying attention to my dreams at the time. I was keeping a dream journal because that's a great way to access, you know, the parts of you that aren't uh, here in the here and now is pay attention to your dreams. And so one night I had this dream and I even still have the notes that I kept when I took you know, had the dream initially. And it was kind of a different sort of sensation. I felt these strange vibrations and a sense of falling. They kind of clued me in that th this was kind of a more different dream than a typical one. And I encountered my stepfather. My stepfather's name is Randy. And there Randy was. He was sitting in his favorite chair. He looked very happy. He always sat in this one particular chair. And there he was. And we had a nice conversation. I didn't remember a lot of what he said, but he said, hey, I'm a spirit. And I thought, wow, that's, that's neat. And then the scene switched, and suddenly we were driving. We were driving down through this tunnel, and over to the side was a, uh, a little memorial, and he pointed to it, and he said, that's my memorial. And I said, well, that's really neat. And then he told me, that he was very concerned about my mother because she had been dating someone, a man, and he had been to the house three times, and he was concerned about her connection with this man. I wasn't sure if it was jealousy or just some kind of concern in general, but I kind of wrote all that down, and then uh, I called my mother and spoke to her about this, as I promised I would. Now, one thing is the memorial was very interesting to me because my mother very much struggled after he died with what to do um, in terms of a service. He had asked her not to have a service. And so she and I discussed this, and I said, well, you know, what do you think? And she said, well, I want to do what he he requested it, but she felt guilty. She thought she should have had a service. And so I felt that was his way of letting me know that it was okay. He had his own memorial and it was okay. So that relieved her of her guilt a little bit. 
But it still felt like something, you know, I would have made up, kind of wishful thinking. Right. But when I let her know about the uh, concern about the man who had come to her house. Now, I didn't, I don't, I'm not the kind of person who speaks to my mother on a regular basis. We don't keep in touch and know what each other's doing, you know, week to week, month to month. And so I didn't know that she, at all what she was up to, but she said it was very interesting. She had recently reconnected with someone she knew from high school. He was a man who lived in town whose wife had died and they were kind of seeing each other. And he had been to her home to pick her up and take her out to dinner three times. Wow. And she, yeah, and she had just decided in the in the past week, she had just decided, you know, I'm not really ready to start dating. It's too soon. This man, he's nice, but he's just a friend. I'm not going to let this go any further. And I found we both found that so interesting that my stepfather somehow knew that information. And I could not have known that information any other way. And often when you tell a story like this to someone, they kind of go, oh, yeah, sure, you must have known. And we know for ourselves. We need to trust our own personal experiences and not be influenced by other people's opinions because to me, that was amazingly powerful evidence. And to my mother, she was blown away by that little piece of information that he was aware of what she was up to, concerned and wanting to just be involved on that level. Sure. And how comforting to her, not only when the ceiling fans came on and you were to reassure her and give her some information, even if she couldn't remember it after the fact. And even with this, that, um, that Randy was still alive somewhere, Yeah, you know, yeah. just invisible. Yeah. And, and around this time too, I was exploring ways, as I said, to do it for myself. But what I, you know, make contact on my own consciously, not just in a dream where it comes out of the blue, but I wasn't very confident in my skills at that point of encountering, you know, and trying to make contact on my own. And I also had heard that if you're very emotional, um, it's more challenging to, to find someone um, that you're personally connected to. But I had a friend who knew how to do this. And so what they recommended, what was recommended at the time was to you know, not tell this friend anything about my stepfather or how I was related to him or what happened to him, only just give him his first name. Kind of like what people do when they go to see a medium. Yes. And uh, the medium will make contact. But this was different. This was a, this was different. So my friend, actually, I gave him his first name, Randy. And in a couple weeks, he called me back and he said, okay, here's what I found out. And he, I, you know, I didn't tell him he had committed suicide. I didn't tell him any of that. He said he wanted to let me know that he was completely fine. He met him on a park bench. He looked completely fine. He said he felt very, very sorry for leaving earlier than he should have. Now, that could have been a sudden illness or some kind of sudden departure um, but he was very sorry for leaving early and any distress it may have called. And he also um, commented on his discomfort that he was feeling up until the end of his lifetime and that he was very, very relieved when he got out of his body. And so 
I didn't have real specific like, oh, he committed suicide and he was sorry, or oh, here were his symptoms. But I had the general sense that he did contact him, mm -hmm. uh, that it was absolutely related to the exact circumstances. Now, his particular situation, he had been depressed for several years. He was taking um, antidepressant medications. He was taking anxiety medications. He, right towards the end, had developed a very severe case of shingles, and Ooh. that's yeah, painful. That's painful. Very painful and itchy. So combined with his emotional state, I had seen him about one year previous to his death. And when I visited him, my mother had told me he was depressed. And he had always been a very fun, kind of lighthearted man to me. But my mom said that he would do that only when other people were around. But when I visited him, he looked like an empty shell. He just, he wasn't engaging. He wasn't um, his usual funny self. He wasn't even able to, as my mom would say, turn it on, you know, for the visitors. And that was one year before. And he just seemed so not who he was. You know, you said we were uh, spiritual beings in a, in a physical body and his, he was empty. It's like part of him had already left. And so when it didn't surprise me at all, you know, to learn of this a year later, that the way that he chose to do this, he planned it out. He, uh, he was extremely kind to my mother uh, weeks before in ways that he hadn't been in recent months. And he, he very much planned it and used his uh, Xanax. Uh, to do it. So I find it very ironic sometimes that people turn to prescription medications to help their emotional issues and then have a tool to take their own life. So that was very sad for me, um, you know, that he didn't try other ways of uh, helping himself beyond the medications. There was a study that came out uh, about a year ago where some people looked at the data of people's death rates here in the U.S., and they found that the death rate in middle-aged, I think, middle socioeconomic range, very average kind of people in about 40 to 60 years of age, were, that's where the death rate was skyrocketing. And it was because of suicide and addictions, not because of cancer or you know, accidents. Wow. And so what they found when they looked into that was that uh, there's a real spiritual vacuum going on. People are not connecting to their communities in deeper ways. And people are not finding, you know, the answers through religion and certainly not spiritual answers through science. And so, you know, which is the prevalent uh, dominant paradigm in our culture, Western culture. And so they were really pointing out that those kinds of things were creating higher rates of suicide in older people. It was very interesting to read because my stepfather fit that so perfectly. He resist, he didn't want to be with other people and any kind of efforts to get him out of that. He, he just didn't want to do it. And, and it really, uh, 
speaks to the fact that not only do we need to reach out and help people in that situation, but those people need to also realize they need to do more than just take a medication. They, they could do that as well, but just finding a way to uh, connect with something greater than their little situation uh, somehow, whether it's he loved dogs, and I'm thinking, what if he had just gone to volunteer at an animal shelter once a week? You know, something very small like that could really make a huge difference in someone's life. And uh, that's what I have to say about suicide. But the good thing is, another time I was in a uh, mediumship reading, and I uh, he showed up, and he came through the medium and told me that he had been living a very small existence and that he really admired my way of looking at the world from a much broader perspective and that he now sees things very, very differently and that I was still teaching him from the other side, you know, from what I was doing here. And he was so happy that this was going on. And what that told me was, back from the original uh, comment I made, that Sylvia Brown was wrong. That when people commit suicide, they do not just fall into worse and worse patterns. They actually do get help. They actually do learn their lessons from the other side. And, and that, more, more than anything, made me feel so much better about his situation. Oh, I agree with you totally. I've talked to enough people and um, read enough that, first of all, I have great compassion for anyone who ends up taking their life because I have only been depressed a couple of times in my life, never taken antidepressants, but it's brutal to think what the yeah. mind does. And so for someone whose mind can't find any other way out, I mean, I have compassion. I don't, you know, I don't wish it on anybody. I know it's very hard for people remaining and I really want people to do their best to overcome any anything while we're here but I, I agree with you nobody's punished and they're greeted with open arms and the education and the learning still happens so I'm thrilled that you've been able to impact him even after the fact right and what we realize too what what suicide people often realize after you know there's a Near-death studies on people who have committed suicide and not succeeded. So people who try to take their own life have a near-death experience and come back. Interestingly, those people never try again. They stay here. What they realize is that this life is a gift and this life is an opportunity for learning. And the situation that they're in is an opportunity to learn right here. And this is absolutely the ripest ground for spiritual learning here in our physical bodies because we forget that we're spiritual. And right. that's why it's more of a challenge. And so usually the suicide people on one level, they regret that they've done it. And so we don't want to say, oh, yes, if your life is... Uh, not going well, just go ahead and, and, you know, end it and you'll be fine. No, what no. we really want to say is hang in there. There's a reason why these circumstances have been presented to you. And that's the real gift is learning how to deal with them. Yeah, I've, I've been reading a lot from different masters and um, one of the... Uh, <laughs> 
big issues I have being human is suffering. And there's a lot that's written that it is in the times of greatest suffering that we get our greatest growth for the soul. And that's why we're here. It's for soul growth and education and loving and learning and forgiving. And, and that gives me a sense of peace personally. And like you said yeah. at the beginning, we're all on our own journeys. It's great for people to tell us things, but when we can actually have an experience ourselves, that's what yeah. teaches us in our soul who we really are. Well, and hardships are a form of experience, and experience is the best form of learning. I mean, anyone can look back in their lifetime and remember a particular hardship, and usually, if not always, there's a gift in that hardship that we don't really realize when we're in it. We can't see it when it's actually happening. But months, even years later, we can look back and say, oh my gosh, if that had never happened, I would not be who I am today. I'm so grateful for that experience. And this is what we need to learn how to do. And really, an ideal way is to, while you're in the hardship, be able to step back and realize, oh my gosh, maybe this is why I need to have this experience and then figure out right then how you can potentially make move yourself through it in a quicker, more effective fashion to get that lesson learned and move on to the next thing. Yeah. So yeah. Karen, I, I picked a mantra when I can actually catch myself doing that is yeah. I say, I'm not a victim. I picked this experience for my soul to grow. Perfect. Yeah, and I don't always remember to do it, but there's times that things have been really tough, and I say, well, what if I'm not a victim, and I pick this experience for my soul to grow, and in a second, like I can change on a dime, and and actually change who I'm being, and change the situation, and look at it from a different perspective. Exactly, and so ways that we can you know, you say you don't do it every time, and I don't either. It's it's hard when you're in that emotional moment to suddenly take a step back and, and ask yourself that question. But when you do, as you say, you can turn. And the way that you can kind of, you have to practice getting into that state. It doesn't just come, you know, because we told you to. You have to practice. And so ways to do that are, all kinds of different forms of meditation, all kinds of different ways, of mindfulness, contemplation, you know, yoga techniques. There's all kinds of different ways that people can use to practice kind of rising above that, that uh, emotional state. I call it finding neutral. Uh, where is it that you can just kind of look at things from that neutral state when you're not really heavy into it? And uh, practicing meditation is uh, an excellent, excellent way to get yourself in that state where you can just turn on a dime, as you say. Yeah, yeah, and even rise above the situation. And, you know, when you're not engaged with all your senses and whatever it is you're feeling, and somebody called it a 30,000-foot view, like you're in an airplane looking down on the situation. Yeah, and... And very often you can suddenly see the other person's point of view and you can realize because usually, you know, it's a conflict with a person usually. And when you see that other person's point of view, you can suddenly go, oh, that's what they need. Give them what they need. And suddenly they're giving you what you need. It's just amazing. How there, it there was a fortune cookie I got once that said the 
oh, what was it? Something like the best place to stand in an argument is on the other person's side. It, it's something yeah. like that. And it was really funny because it, it was in a battle with somebody at the time. And it was just like, you know, what if I did? And really thoroughly saw something from somebody else's perspective. That can really change things. Anyways, Karen, I want to get into what it is you're doing now because it's extraordinary. And how, because it all ties in, I'm sure now we're going into finding neutral and practicing meditation. How, through your past, did you end up coming up with sacred acoustics and getting involved in helping people find neutral? I love that expression. Yeah, well, well, I, as I said earlier, I had this uh, drive to learn the truth about our existence. And of course, you can read and read and read all kinds of things, but what I really wanted was to experience it and that greater nature that I kept reading about that we all have. And so I would try different meditation techniques. I took um, Reiki classes. I took healing touch for animals. I learned how to keep track of my dreams. I I learned remote viewing. I learned animal communication, plant communication. I learned self-hypnosis. I learned all kinds of hands-on tools. And any kind of meditative technique that I would try and do was extremely challenging. I would sit and, you know, like they would say, oh, just sit for 10 minutes. Just sit for 10 minutes in silence, thinking of one thought. And I'm like, all right, okay. And because, as I said, I was a project manager and a technology director and all of this, I I was constantly, constantly had my mind moving. Yes. But when I would sit down to meditate, I couldn't shut that off. It would just continue. And I remember sitting there thinking, okay, I'll sit there for 10 minutes, close my eyes. And I would think 10 minutes had gone by. I would open my eyes and two minutes would have gone by. And I would think, well, this is just a waste of time. I can't quiet my mind. And right. why would I... Why would I want to? My mind is helping me be such a great worker. You know, I can do so much in multitask. And so eventually I realized it kept coming back. You have to meditate. You have to go within. All of those techniques that I was referring to involve a form of going within. And and what really started to turn the corner for me was different types of sound. And so... Sounds like crystal bowls and tuning forks and Tibetan brass bowls. Those sounds that just would go wah, wah, wah. Not music with melodies, but those kind of monotonous sounds. And that's when you kind of notice your th- you get grabbed and your thoughts kind of fade away. And that was very helpful. If I started to turn a corner. But when it really turned is when I discovered something called brainwave entrainment technology. Some people call it binaural beats, um, but basically it's technology that delivers certain sound signals to the brain to settle it down, to give it something to do. I'm I'm telling you this in very, very simple terms, but basically trying to drive it into those lower, slower brainwave states associated with sleep associated with meditation, relaxation, and that is what really started to help me get into these more expanded states of awareness in rather remarkable 
ways. And in fact, one of those very early times that I was listening to these types of sounds, I actually encountered my grandmother who had died and she brought me great comfort and I wasn't looking for her. I was just in a certain state of awareness and there she was. And that was further proof, you know, Aww. that our souls survive. Yeah. And that was a surprise. And very interestingly, you can have an intention as well when you go into these states to accomplish certain things. It's such a broad range of uh, things you can do intentionally when you expand your awareness like that. And one of them is to contact the souls of departed loved ones. But other things you can do is, let's see, how would I say this simply? I like to say that when we put these tones on, well, let me back up one step. Okay. The, state that, the state that we're trying to get into that people can really be familiar with is that state that we're in every single day when we're first waking up in the morning, that's when it is pretty strong for me, but also when we're first falling asleep at night. That's called the hypnagogic or hypnopompic state. That's that state, that borderline between awake and asleep that we're trying to induce with our sacred acoustic sound technology. And when you can get into that state, that's where you can start to harness intention. Now, I don't know if you want to ask any questions yet. Uh, uh, yes, just what you're talking about, about intention. Intention, great. So one way that I like to recommend doing intention is to keep it very simple. It's funny, you, you told me you had your mantra. Would you tell me that mantra again, the one that you use? Sure. I'm not a victim. I pick this experience for my soul to grow. Okay, so that's a lot of sentence. That's a lot of words. That's two sentences. So my suggestion for intention is to take that same sentiment, sentiment, and simplify it to one word. And the word I would choose, you would obviously choose your own word, but I would choose empowered. I am empowered. And so to simplify down to one word means you can tap into. What does that word mean literally in your mind? And what does that word feel like? If all of those things you said were true, how would I feel? I would feel empowered. Yeah, that's I would good. feel in control. And so my recommendation is to bring it down to that one word. So in the case of a person who I'll start with something mundane, like you, you have a project at work and you want to do really well and there's a lot of stress around it. So you can simply have the intention of success. And then once you start to sort of resonate that feeling while listening to the tones, the tones quiet down your mind, you focus on this one feeling and resonate that, there's a phenomenon like attracts like. And so when you resonate that feeling of success or empowerment, while you're in that quiet state, when no other thoughts are interfering, the universe has a way of delivering situations that match the resonance you're holding. And that's a very challenging thing for us to do in our everyday life. But when we can practice that in a deep meditative state, it can really be interesting how things shift. And it's, it's the, the words all have a different sort of feeling or vibration. And the tones that we deliver are being delivered 
via vibration. And so I like to think that the vibration of the intention mixes in with the vibration of those tones and creates this kind of like a, a stone being dropped into a pond, this ripple effect that goes out. Now, another very significant turning point for me in my personal journey was learning how to bring awareness to my heart. And this can really, really help move from that thinking mind into that feeling state. And one of the things that I learned was to imagine I was breathing in and out of my heart in all kinds of different ways. And so some of our sound technology actually incorporates those practices. We have a um, something we call heart bundle that has some different heart exercises. And a bunch of our um, guided exercises actually guide people to begin in the heart. And so for me, combining awareness of the heart and the sound technology have really helped to remove myself from that thinking mind. The uh, heart, interestingly, doesn't have a linguistic center. There's a, uh, let me back up a sec, Heart Math Institute in California studies the heart. And coming out of the heart, everyone's heart is a torus field. It starts in the heart, moves out the top of your head, all the way around your body, and then comes back up in through the bottom of your body constantly moving and this has been measured by the heart math institute to go out beyond the body at least 30 to 50 feet now it expands and contracts depending on our emotional state so all of this is tied together and the more we can focus on the heart and our feeling state the more we can realize how much that electromagnetic field of that Taurus field that is in all of us is affecting us. And the, the heart actually sends more information to the brain than the brain sends to the heart. And because the heart has no linguistic center, no words, it's actually just sending feelings and information. And then the brain decides what to do. That's when our linguistic center gets involved. And so... I hope this is all making sense. I'm trying to explain it in such a fast fashion. But the tones combined with this heart awareness can really help bring us to our greater nature of who we really are. We are not our thoughts. We are not our physical bodies. We are much more than that. And until we can kind of put our physical bodies and our thoughts aside, that's how we can access those parts of us. Karen, I love everything you're saying. And I just, my mind goes back to the late 90s when I took a course on hypnosis and became a hypnotist. Not that I practice today, but I remember studying about all the athletes that would do self-hypnosis and bring themselves just to that point just before they go to bed at night or before they fall asleep or as they're waking up in that morning, that hypnagogic state, and actually visualize their performance ahead of time. And time and time again, people who did that performed better. Their muscles performed better. Uh, they they won their events and things like that. So, you know, everything you're saying about that hypnagogic state, very, very important and it's awesome 
that the audios put people there. And then also when you're talking about intention, even bringing up success and vibration, there was a time last year that I actually did a 28-day gratitude um, thing. It was 28 days that I really packed in gratitude in my life just to as a science project just to see what would happen and within those 28 days uh, I, mean, I was giving gratitude for things that hadn't even happened yet but it sounds very similar sending out vibrations for things like success whatever and I had more miracles and I'm going to call them miracles show up in those 28 days than ever in my life and it's I do believe, just as you do, we are souls and we're very, very powerful. And our thoughts and our intentions and these vibrations that we send out really do impact reality. And that's it. So I love how you're describing it. Even the Heart Math Institute, you know, the, I mean, it just, it's like, aha. So you're introducing yeah. me to a new way of. Uh, hearing about things that I've kind of discovered a little bit for myself, but the fact that we can actually self-induce these things yes. is awesome. What was your first audio that you created and um, like what kind of testimonials came back? Do you remember? Well, yes. Our first audio um, was something we call OM, O-M, OM. And when people first started listening to we we put it on our website and uh, made it available for free. In fact, it's still available for free, an updated version of it. Uh, if you go to sacredacoustics.com, look for a free download, enter your email, you'll be sent a link to a 20-minute recording that you can listen to whenever you wish um, that we call OM. And when people listen to it, they report all kinds of things. Now, there's you know, seven plus billion people on the planet. And there's about that many ways to respond to these tones. And so there are some patterns, but we all respond uniquely. And some people were saying it was inducing an out of body experience. Some people were saying it was a miracle and their thoughts immediately were diminished. Others felt like it brought them a sense of inner peace. Others would listen and say, huh, kind of interesting, kind of different, didn't really feel things like that. But so there's a very wide range of uh, reactions that can take place. For those where not much happens, we usually recommend that they try it more than once, excuse me, and uh, also incorporate intention like we're talking about. I find it very interesting that you you bring up the athletes. It's so funny. Sometimes we'll introduce these tones to people and one guy said to us, hey, will it improve my golf game? You know, and our approach is always uh, more a spiritual level. But yes, you can absolutely do things that affect your uh, physical, you know, your day to day life. But what we really uh, want to encourage people to do is to get to know their spiritual side and that is such a beautiful way to do it a lot of times people want to know well what's my purpose how do I know what my purpose is and you can find out for yourself by going within so yes you can improve your golf game but you can also find out why did I come to this planet at this time in this body with this family with this particular situation that I'm in Those are the bigger kinds of issues 
that can really be addressed very nicely. I loved how you said that when you did that, my daughter, who's 27 now, she did that same gratitude, 28 days of gratitude thing and had similar reports that she gave to me where she focused on things she was grateful for every single day for 28 days. And when you do such things, it can be very powerful. But I loved how you said that this was a science experiment for yourself. Yes. Because so much we hear, you know, the authority of science telling us that these things aren't possible. It's, it's just a figment of our imagination. But we can do our own experiments. And we should do our own experiments. We should not believe anything we're told that anyone tells us including what we're talking about today. Go find out for yourself. Don't sit back and act like you have the answers until you go find out for yourself. Try a form of meditation. Try our sound technology. If that doesn't work, try something else. Move on, you know, try. And you can't just try once and call it done. I tried over and over and over and over before I had results. And when you get those results, you're just, you, you don't go back. You never go back. You always, that those experiences become a part of you and you then have knowings. You know things instead of just believing things. And that really does change how you approach life. Yeah, I went to a, um, a workshop not too long ago and one of the exercises was to meditate and get in touch with your own soul. So I've heard of meditation, of course, and I like you, takes a lot of work to quiet my mind. Oh my gosh, it does. But on this particular meditation, uh, every day for five days, we did different times of the day and we'd do this meditation connecting to our own soul. And Karen, it hit eventually this place yeah. that was so peaceful and so beautiful and all the thoughts stopped. And what was present for me was this feeling of unbelievable love and empowerment that's a great word and then like in my mind's eye like there was a, a shade of purple that that showed up and so every time I did it I felt this feeling this shade of purple showed up I me mean, it was just like okay so that's my signal that I've connected and it's interesting because even this morning waking up uh, before you and I spoke, it's like, oh, let me, let me go to that place. And you know what? I couldn't. I mean, it really takes something. It really yeah. does. And to have a tool that would make that happen faster. And it's like a muscle we build. You know, you can't go to the gym once and expect to come out with a really hot physique, you know, sexy, strong exactly. physique. You got to practice, but yeah. it, 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 it pays off. And so I got to, a place that I know is available and it's like nothing I've ever experienced and I find it fascinating that when you connected with your soul what did you find you found love peace and empowerment and guess what that's what we will all find eventually because we are made of that love and we forget that we we all of us all of us have some kind of I'm not good enough I'm not worthy, you know, I, I can't have, you know, what other people have. But when you really go deep inside, you find that you are that love. You're made of that love. And that's something that I really love to stress with people is that, you know, we hear this term, we need to love ourselves. And we're so trained to love other people. 
And so what we do is we direct love. We send it out. And then when we're told to love ourselves, how do you direct love towards yourself? It's very confusing, at least it was to me. And the way I got around that was I learned that I could generate that feeling of gratitude that you brought up. Um, if you never have any other intention, gratitude, that one word intention is it. Hands down, that's the default intention. But when you go to that feeling of gratitude and try to feel it inside of your heart and you allow it to grow and you imagine that electronic field around you that is generating this feeling of love, suddenly you realize, I am love. And so when you can get to that point, it's a beautiful phrase to imagine that you can be the love that you are. So you're not directing it anywhere. You just are it. And then you resonate it, you radiate it, and it affects people around you. Talk of science experiments. I love to stand in a line or uh, someplace where people might be feel a little impatient. And I like to put that feeling of gratitude in my heart and feel that love that I, that I now know that I am. And I imagine myself breathing in a way that it expands out to all the people around me. And then I just observe. I just observe and see how other people react without me saying a word or doing anything. And that's a very interesting science experiment. You can do it at business meetings when there's a strange, you know, conflict going on that you want to get past. Instead of interrupting and using your words, use your heart, see what happens. That's a science experiment. We can all do this. Yeah, and it's it's fun to do. And I, I'm thinking too, for all these many years that I've been involved with the life after death things and that we're souls having a human experience, I wake up in the morning and completely forget. You know, I look in the mirror, don't like what I see, I'm not good enough. And that this is all part of being human. So I think we're not expected to be perfect and understand this and know this 24-7. But to put in a practice, like listening to a daily audio or something like that, to remind us who we really are, I think that's important. Yeah, a lot of times too, when you first start out, especially when you involve the heart, it's not always peace and love and joy, all right? When you first start to focus on your heart, you start to uncover some emotional trauma you may have stored there unintentionally years and years ago. But by focusing on it and allowing yourself to feel that feeling, even if it's a little uncomfortable and you might not want to feel it, it can actually release it for good and to let yourself Feel that feeling, go through that uncomfortable emotion, can sometimes release it and then it gets replaced with that love and peace and oneness that we all can access. Yes, yes. Karen, looking at time, it's going by very quickly, <laughs> as it always does. My, What I want to ask you is um, many of our listeners right now have experienced a loss in their life and maybe experiencing grief. Um, and there are those also that would love to be able or have the possibility of connecting with a loved one. Could you get us started, uh, or even somebody just interested, like through Sacred Acoustics, how we could uh, dip our toe in the water and actually just start maybe yeah. releasing some pain, getting to know our true selves? You offer many different 
products on your site, but how would we get started? Well, there's a several levels there. There's the, the release of grief. Um, definitely our heart bundle products would be very useful for that. And we also have some products that are helpful to uh, if you have trouble sleeping, because a lot of times uh, grief involves insomnia. You can't stop thinking about that person. And so we do have some products that help people with their sleep. Now, those will help with your personal emotional state. Um, there's other ones as well called Healing Center, Light Body. There's a, a broad number of products, but a great place to get started is that free download. Now, if you want to make contact with a departed loved one intentionally, my recommendation for doing that, we talked about these one-word intentions. Your sort of one-word feeling intention for your loved one is, what did it feel like when you were with that person? What is that unique sort of soul signature that you recall that that person gave to you? Remember them vibrationally. What was that feeling? And when you go into that state and you conjure up that feeling of that lost loved one, they're not really lost. They're just not visible physically you know, physically anymore, but they're still there. So if you remember that vibration, just start with that and feel that and then see what comes. Every person will receive that gift in a different way. And so there's, there's no real way to provide, you know, give you an expected reaction, but to start out with feeling what it felt like when you were with them is a beautiful way to start. And that can be done using that free download. So you don't even have to buy anything. You can just start right there. Oh, thank you for that. And your audios are reasonably priced. They're not through the roof, which I've experienced with other products. <laughs> they are reasonably yeah. priced. Karen, yeah. any closing words? It really has been awesome, awesome, awesome talking with you. Well, my closing words are just that all of us are precious, unique, divine beings that are all part of a greater whole and without each and every one of us the whole would not be complete and so as each of us really finds who we are you know internally who we are inside not just our roles here in life like teacher and doctor but who we are inside as each of us becomes more of who we are and radiates that out to others that is what will change the world yeah that's awesome and from all my readings also, service and making a difference with other people is where it's at. One Number one best thing we can do while we're on planet Earth. And it sounds yeah. like you're doing that. And what you just said is teaching other people to do that as well. Yes, absolutely. You yeah. are an angel, Karen Newell. You are, you are, you are. And oh, I'm, thank you, Sandra. Yeah, you're welcome. And I'm excited to learn more and actually... Did try your audio, the OM one. Um, well, I'd love to hear what you think. Yeah. Well, I know it'll work. I, I had a, a different kind of audio that I listened to years ago, and uh, it was before I even got involved with life after death stuff. And I remember my grandmother popped into my mind as clear and alive as she ever was. And it only happened for a second. But Isn't there was amazing? there was mm -hmm. no mistaking that that happened, and yeah, I, and, I, and they're they're there always. It's just when we get into the state where we can actually sense them. 
yes. that we notice. Yes. Yes. So awesome to see where it's going to, where it's going to go. Anyways, thank you for being our guest today and for our listener, obviously. Oh my gosh. Thank you for listening. The show is growing by leaps and bounds and it's because you enjoy the show and you have the guts to share it on Facebook or Twitter or wherever you share. So I really want to thank you for that. And also feel free to go to we don't die radio.com. This has been episode 117 with the magnificent Karen Newell or visit her website, sacredacoustics.com. And at we don't die radio.com, if you click on the insiders club, you can get a, a free copy of my book, We Don't Die, and also a free audio called How to Survive Grief, which will also, in addition, help with the grieving process. So, in closing, my name is Sandra Champlain, and I've been your host on We Don't Die Radio. And with all my heart, I do believe that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is important. So, make it a great day. Have the intention that today's a great day, like Karen said. And thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.